Welcome to Abstract, colon, the future of science. I'm your host, Jeremy Ullman, and today, as always, we are bringing unprecedented accessibility to graduate research. We recorded in the past, you're listening in the present, and we're discussing the future of science. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Abstract. Today we are graced by the likes of a Master of Engineering candidate in the Chemical Engineering Department at McGill University. None other than Breno Sequeira is here to join us today for another great episode. He's working as a researcher in the Biomimetic Surface Engineering Laboratory, supervised by Professor Anne-Marie Kitzig. Breno, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hello, Jeremy. Thank you very much for inviting me for the show. My research project basically aims to manufacture nonstick and superhydrophobic food plastic containers such as yogurt, uh, cream cheese, mayonnaise, ketchup, ice cream, and waste plastic containers, for example, trash beans. And my research areas and interests are advanced materials and nanotechnology. And I also have recently become one of the Sustainability 2021 change makers, in which I had the honor to present my projects in the 2021 SAD Talks. Basically, my hobbies are playing basketball, working out at the gym, watching NBA and soccer, and I am from Brazil, uh, traveling, and always being like in company with people that I love as well. I love that. That's yeah. basically why I have this podcast, because I also like being in, in great company. And we've spoken once before, and it was absolutely awesome. And I, I'm just thrilled to have you back on the show today for official recording. So thank you. Welcome. And let's hop right into it. You Perfect. ready? Yes. Awesome. So what does a biomimetic surface engineering lab even really do? Okay. <laughs> break that down quickly? Yes. Perfect. So biomimetic is basically we try to imitate nature. So in our case, so we have a lot of functions in nature that we, we aim to imitate in the lab. So for example, in my project, uh, since we aim non-stick and self-cleaning plastic containers, so we see what, which surfaces in nature have this property. So for example, a lotus leaf has this property, a shark skin to, to have the, the ability to have less drag while swimming under the water. We have also the mosquito eyes because they cannot really clean their own eyes. So their own eyes are self-cleaning. And <laughs> yeah, and so many other um, surfaces in nature have the same property. So, and that's why it comes the name Biomimetic. If I walked into your lab, would I see like one workbench with shark skin on it and one workbench with a bunch of mosquito eyes on it? Or no? <laughs> Not exactly like that. We just try to aim the same uh, surfaces. And basically the way we do that, so scientists have investigated why these surfaces have these properties of self-cleaning and uh, water repellency. And they realized that basically these surfaces have a combination of micro and nanostructures. So it means that it reduces the contact area between the water or the dirty and their surfaces. And that what causes them to have these this properties. So, and this all sounds counterintuitive though, because like a microstructure or a nanostructure, uh -huh. you would think that this would increase the surface area of the, of the material that, that you're talking about, which means that there's, there's more dirt that can get in and right. There's more, more material that can stick to it. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it, uh, so yeah, 
so we have gaps between these micro and nanostructures, but these gaps, for example, uh, they trap air inside of them. So if there's a droplet of water on top of a micro and nanostructure, you can think about it, this droplet try to penetrate these cavities, but they can't because they trap air inside of them and they actually drag easily on top of them. Oh, yeah, exactly. interesting. So stuff is going in, it's just air, and we don't really mind if air is in our materials. Yeah, air it, is not the problem. Exactly. It's a, it, if you think about it, it's like a syringe. So when you press a syringe, and there's a point in which the pressure is so high, and when you like hold the, the other part so the air doesn't go out, so there's a, there's a specific time in which you cannot push more pressure inside because there were, the air is totally compressed inside the, the syringe, mm -hmm. right? So then the same happens into this micro and nanostructure. So the water tries to enter, but there's a point in which there's so much pressure that it cannot completely soak the cavity. And that's why this water droplet gets a bit loose on top of the surfaces. So, so you got <laughs> involved in a biomimetic surface engineering lab, which takes uh, influence from nature exactly. and shark skin and mosquito eyes and you were like oh let's see how we can apply this to ketchup bottles exactly <laughs> that's the way it is well, it seems like a bit of a large jump exactly there's a large jump there for example there are multiple ways to make the structures super hydrophobic non-stick and have have the self-cleaning properties but that one of the ways uh it's about coating the surfaces right so we, we know that, for example, when we wax our car, uh, we have this water droplets a little bit more rounded on top of it. And that's why our car keeps clean for more time. And that's basically you are changing the surface chemistry on top of it, modifying its, its chemistry so it can become hydrophobic. It's not super hydrophobic, but it's hydrophobic. Uh, Let's actually make a distinction there, though. Okay, so yes. What is, what is the main difference between hydrophobic materials oh, and exactly. super hydrophobic materials? Perfect. So uh, there's a bit of technicality in there, but let's say. So we investigate the droplet shape on top of the surfaces. So we Droplets have... Droplets of what, though? Uh, to become super hydrophobic, it's only about uh, droplets of water. But there's okay. another concept called a super oleophobicity in which we test actually other liquids to make sure that these droplets can also repel oils, for example. I love that word, oleophobicity. Oleophobicity, exactly. Oh my God. More, more oh, technical that's... than that is it's called omniphobicity. And that's omniphobicity. What, exactly. Omni, the prefix meaning like varied things. Exactly. What, what, is, what does omni mean? Something like that? Uh, it should be, yeah, because uh, it basically means that it repels various types of liquids. And, that's, and that in the end also repels oils. And that's, uh, there's one way to test that as well. Omniphobicity. Exactly. Love it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, keep going. Okay, so when we talk about uh, hydrophobicity and super... So there are three terms. So there's what we call superhydrophilicity, and then we got to hydrophilicity, and then hydrophobicity and superhydrophobicity. So let's come to the first one, Hy superhydrophilicity. So this one is one that basically the water totally soaks the surface. So it's, it's that water droplet that it's completely absorbed by the surface and then when you start increasing the hydrophobicity of the surface uh, the water starts to form into a round shape on top of this surface so mm -hmm. we get to a point in which uh, we measure the contact angle between the droplet and the surface and that is how we identify which condition this droplet is into. Hold on one second, just, okay. just so I can try and conceptualize the, the, okay. the contact angle. Okay. I'm picturing right now yeah. if the surface was like like land, 
Okay. And then the the water droplet could be imagined as like a bridge connecting two pieces of land on the opposite sides of water. Exactly. How how sharply the bridge would be going upwards and then coming downwards, like the parabola of the bridge, uh-huh. depending on like how how high it would go. Exactly. That 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 means that there's like a sharper angle. So imagine a completely uh, sphere uh, water droplet on top of the surface. So it's impossible to have something like that because we have a contact angle of 180 degrees, which means we don't have any contact between the water and the surface. So if you imagine 180 degrees, it's a completely sphere water droplet. However, since we have this contact of uh, this water droplet and the surfaces, we start decreasing this contact angle. So let's say the maximum that we can get physically is 179 degrees. So, which is sure. the, the maximum contact angle that we can have between the, this water droplet and the surface. So, and the more we decrease this uh, contact angle, the more we reach into the super hydrophilicity in which the water is actually soaking the, the surfaces. So, and the water starts decreasing its contact angle and, and start becoming more flat at the bottom. And this is the contact angle that we measure between the, this, this surfaces and this edge surface of the, of the water droplet. Is that too, okay. too hard to... to, to <laughs> I mean, so you were definitely making a lot of hand movements, which yeah. I could see, but unfortunately listeners will not be able to see. But uh, hopefully they will send me an email with scathing remarks about the inaccessibility of that explanation if they <laughs> felt that way. Yes. So please, if you felt that that was a little bit too much, let me know. But feel free to rewind and get another try at that. But yeah, okay, so let's keep going. So this is great. You've, you've outlined now kind of four different levels of the way a material interacts with water. Exactly. And how much the water kind of balls up with itself tells you uh, basically how little it wants to interact with the material itself. Exactly. So very hydrophobic phobia, like a fear. The material just does not like that water. Exactly. But philic, which is like a love, mm-hmm. you know, like um bibliophile someone uh-huh. who loves books right yes yes so they're definitely going to want to hug the books they're going to want to absorb the books <laughs> into uh-huh. all their nanostructures <laughs> and uh <laughs> excellent okay perfect that's it that's basically it yeah okay amazing so so you're dealing with the with the latter part of the spectrum this this hydrophobic and super hydrophobic exactly super hydrophobic that's our goal okay so if we can create a super hydrophobic material what does that do for us okay so, in the context of the work that you're doing. Let me quickly uh, conceptualize what superhydrophobic means. So because this is the, the, the spectrum that I work with. So yes, basically, please. yeah, so uh, I just mentioned about contact angles. So basically for a surface to be considered superhydrophobic, it needs two, two basically uh, criteria. So the first one is to have this contact angle of one more than uh, 150 degrees. So the water droplet and the surface has to be more than 150 degrees of contact angle. And the other, the other uh, parameter is basically we have to measure uh, in which angle. So for example, if you tilt the surface, so imagine a completely flat surface and we put a droplet of water on top of it. So it's not going to move, but uh, we want to measure uh, in which tilt we can give to the surface. So the, this water droplet can start moving. Because this is what gives us this super hydrophobic and also the self-cleaning behavior. And, and for that to happen, we need less than 5 degrees. We tilt this, the surface and the water droplets start rolling off the surface. These are the two criteria. So 150 degrees of contact angle and a little tilt in less than 5 degrees in the surface. That should be enough 
for this water droplets to roll off the, the surface. Okay, so these yeah. are the, the two uh, criteria. And 150 for the contact angle and five degrees for the tilt of the surface. Perfect. If you meet yes. only one of those criteria, you cannot confidently say that it's super hydrophobic. Yes, perfect. And that, okay. that's really interesting because in nature, we have what is called rose petal effect. And basically in rose petals, we, we, we see this behavior. So we see droplets getting into 150 degrees of contact angle, but they get stuck into the, the petal. And, and that's interesting because the, the water doesn't roll off in that petal, but we need them to roll off in order to become super hydrophobic. And that's why we also need the second criteria. Yes. So you can see this. Can you give me, that's, that's fascinating. Uh huh. Could you give me an example of the opposite where it wouldn't be 150 degrees, but it would like flow? There's no way. And that, and that, so it needs to be 150 degrees in order to roll off. So, so yeah, it's, let's say it's the first criteria is 150 degrees. And the second one has to be the roll off angle less than five. So the second depends on the first, but the first does not depend on the second. Got, got it? it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So. To bring us back to what we were saying before, the fact that you're spending all this time making these hydrophobic materials must be all this all this research and all this work must be for for some very important purpose, right? Exactly. So you're applying this in the context of plastic containers. Uh huh. What would be so great about having this kind of plastic container? Okay, so let me give you uh, some uh, little data so I can explain the motivation of this project. So basically, uh, we produce around 385 million tons of plastics every year. Mm -hmm. And only 9% of these plastics get recycled at the end. And Whoa. basically 12% of them get incinerated and 79% and end up in landfills. And the 79 is around 300 million tons of plastics. So Jeez. from this plastics that end up in landfills, around 25% are too contaminated to go anywhere but the landfill. So and this 25% of 300 million tons is, is what we are aiming to help solve the problem. So let's think about it. So if we have plastic containers like ketchup bottle, ice cream uh, containers and cream cheese and they don't have this food sticking into their walls anymore. Basically, you get the most out of the food that you bought and you don't have to keep trying to remove this food somehow. It, this food basically just goes to the bottom and you get the most out of it. And also at the end, you don't need to wash these containers to empty them so they can get recycled at the end. So basically, you just throw them out and they will be completely empty and they will be recycled at the end. So these are the main two motivations for when we talk about food plastic containers, but we also work with uh, trash containers, which, which is basically called waste containers. So, and the, and the benefit from that is because you, you have this very bad smell inside of these trash bins that we have outside of our streets. And uh, by having that, whenever the truck shakes this trash can, this trash will easily roll off inside of the, the trash container. And also, there's not, there's not going to be any smell inside of this trash bins anymore. So, and, and there's a, a one data that only in the city of San Diego in the United States, 
over 17,500 trash bins were broken because basically these trucks, they shake these trash cans to empty them <laughs> because this trash gets stuck and etc. And we aim that by having super hydrophobic trash bins as well, this trash will roll off quite easily and uh, these trash bins will not be broken anymore. And only in the city of San Diego, they, they have to pay over $1 million in new trash bins for their citizens. So imagine <laughs> this, uh, if we bring that to all cities in America and Canada. So this is a big amount of money wow. going to replace this trash bin. So yeah, and that's the benefit for both food plastic containers and also waste containers. You know, this is, this is one of the awesome parts about science is you can have a problem, a really niche problem in San Diego... And then you can, you can have uh -huh. a Brazilian researcher come up to Canada and do research at McGill yes. University to figure out how to fix the problem down in San Diego. I mean, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's amazing. Okay, so <laughs> you definitely did a great job of backing up why it is that you're doing. I'm, I'm sure you've done that many times before. You've gotten lots of funding for it. <laughs> Whenever yeah. you can save millions of dollars, people usually want to give you just a few bucks in return for that. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly. excellent. Um, so, of course, the material is just one part of the actual container. Once we know what the properties of the material are going to be, how do we actually make it? Like, you were talking about nanostructures. Like, how do we actually produce something like this? Oh, okay, perfect. So, l let's come back to how these plastics are produced in the industry. So, they are produced by injection molding. So injection molding quite easily, uh, it's, we have a big metal mold and there's some plastic granulates that will be melted into a machine and they will be pressurized against this metal mold. And after cool down and unpressure, this, this plastic will be the inverse of whatever this metal mold is. Okay. And that's how these plastic uh, containers are produced. Okay, so, and what we want is to produce this mode in a way that have this micro, the inverse of the micro and nano structures that we want in the end in the plastic containers. How do we make this micro, the inverse of this micro and nano structures in, into this mode? So in our lab, we use a basically laser micro machine. So laser micro machine is basically a novel technique. It's a contactless. So we lace these uh, modes by light, by the use of light. <laughs> and, and and more fun stuff. Yes. Yeah, and then it's it's really precise. So we, we can create up to one micrometer uh, surfaces, structures of any kind, uh, different geometries, different spacing between structures, different depths. So we we can do what basically whatever we want uh, by inputting some codes, and uh, this laser will run all these things and create the surfaces that we want into these modes. So the, the main idea is that uh, we anticipate which structures we want in the plastic containers and then we mold, we lace the inverse of the structures. Uh, and basically the laser, one big advantage of the laser compared to other techniques uh, out there is that the, the nanostructures created, they're actually created automatically by the laser. So we don't create them by scanning this mode. They are created because of the light absorption inside of this, this mode. So we, what we actually lace is microstructures, but the nanostructures are created 
as well without we want them but they are actually created by this laser micro machine so imagine some light raster scanning uh, all this mode and it creates our microstructures and this light creates a lot of nanoparticles and these nanoparticles stay attached to this inside <laughs> of this uh oh my God. yeah it's a lot but yeah it, it gets stuck that's and these crazy. are the nanostructures that we that's want. crazy so you don't even really know like you don't even really know what your surface is gonna really like look like on yeah, an extremely the... detailed level you only really plan for the for the micro and the nano is just kind of like almost this like random process yeah yeah exactly so the nano the nano features we actually uh I can say actually that we, we have some control of them because there are a lot of studies out there that, for example, we change some laser parameters and we get different nanostructures. Uh -huh. So if we induce more power, we have a specific uh -huh. kind of nanostructures. If we induce less power, we have different kind of nanostructures. So we have an idea of how this nanostructures looks like uh, depending on laser parameters that we choose. So we can also... Uh, let's say manipulate which nanostructures we we want based on these different laser parameters that's that's absolutely fascinating yeah that's fascinating and then this mode gets into the injection molding process and then this plastic basically enter inside of all this micro and nano cavities and then after it it's some pressure it gets the inverse of all this nano and micro scale features inside so whatever uh material that we have inside of these containers uh, will be into a super hydrophobic surfaces. I guess my biggest question really is, what does this technology cost right now? So, so let's say after this mode, this big mode is produced and gets into the injection molding, basically there's no cost uh, because the, the process is the same. So the, the only thing that we probably have to do at some point is to clean this mode so we can start new cycles into the into the production because at some point we realize that there are some polymer and plastic that get stuck into these microstructures and they do not get melted into a new cycle so there, Got there's it. there's got to be some cleaning procedure so we can keep molding them so after you manufacture them by using this laser technology, you basically have no cost because the, 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 the manufacturer process is the same. We're just using a different uh, mode. I absolutely love that we can take yogurt this seriously. Exactly. <laughs> you, like, you know, we live our lives and we interact with our environment very often on autopilot. Yes. There are things that myself and I'm sure other people listening to this podcast and beyond are focusing on much more than whether they have food stuff attached to their container. But it's little things like this that make the future so bright. Exactly. It's little things that right now we don't think about. And even if this sweeps the nation and in 25 or 30 years, all plastics are like this. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that we're not going to really even realize. We're just going to take it for granted. And exactly. I'm actually really looking forward to living in that future and, and looking at my children and saying, I used to have to scrape down the side <laughs> of the ketchup bottle. But you little rascals, you just you just toss it right in the trash. Exactly. That's excellent. So for us, these days is so frustrating when we, we kind of finish this uh, ketchup and we still have all this ketchup stuck into the walls and there's no way to get them out. With some people actually like... Uh, 
open this trash and like kind of scrap out this thing out of the the ketchup but it's so frustrating that we some people have to do that and you say you know what i don't care i'm just gonna throw out this this ketchup it doesn't matter this this amount of ketchup stuck into the walls and in the end these plastics don't get recycled so and that and that's one of the main problems out there that we have nowadays right so plastics are not getting recycled but they have to be so our future needs that because as mm -hmm. the as the years are, are coming more and more plastics are being produced so we we need to bring some solution to yeah. to recycle these plastics again and to to make sure that we don't destroy our planet in in a few decades right yeah this this is a really interesting take on the like the sustainability of plastics because i know there are people doing research trying to create like biodegradable materials for example exactly. right so it actually doesn't even matter if if you know your yogurt is still stuck eventually the yogurt is going to biodegrade and the material is going to biodegrade and everything's fine exactly. so you're kind of working on the other side okay uh -huh. well we don't necessarily need our material to disappear mm -hmm. right we just need it to be put in the right place exactly so that's a that's a, it's a really unique angle and i appreciate that all this talk about like micro and nanostructures and just the different sizes and scales of things i basically just want to ask you one last question today okay 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 if you could live at the size scale of nanostructures which are a billion times smaller than we are now yes or you could grow to be a billion times larger wow so like Maybe the size of the solar system. Wow. Right? Uh -huh. Which would you prefer? Wow, there's some philosophical thoughts now. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> if, I, if I think about it uh, being a billion times smaller than I am, it seems that I'm not going to even realize I am that small because at some point I'll be just living in a small little area and this is my life and this is, let's say, my city, my world. And But if I am a billion times bigger so i'll be living let's say around planets but like I, I i don't have anything to do right because i i am between these planets and there's no one there's nothing else there ah uh, it's kind of uh, it seems that if i get into a nanoscale that would be a, i would have a happier life i would say not being a, 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 <laughs> I like how happy this factors into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you, you just get used to it. Yeah. You, you are not, a, it's, it's like us right now, right? So if we compare ourselves to the universe, we are really like uh, even much smaller than nanoscale features. And uh, if, if, I, if I decrease even more, so I will be in such an area that I, I'm not even aware of the outside. But if I'm a, a huge giant <laughs> outside, that's going to be really a lonely life, I would say. I would I wouldn't like to live such a life like that. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to feel lonely. No, <laughs> and that's why we're here. We we have each other. And hey, if you're listening right now, we've got you too. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, but I know this has been an absolute just such a treat. Oh, yeah. I love chatting with you and just talking about all these crazy scientific discoveries that we're making and all the wonderful work we're doing in engineering. It's it's always an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for being here and just have an awesome day. Jeremy, thank you very much for inviting me again. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at abstractcast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast 
at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.